everybody. Thank you very much for checking out this new episode of The Taste. I'm Doug Schaefer here at Schaefer Vineyards, and today, today is a big one. We're celebrating one year of podcasting. And to mark this milestone, our guest today is Elias Fernandez. Elias is the winemaker here at Schaefer, first hired straight out of college in 1984. He's been a great friend for 35 years, and I think you can't find a better winemaker. We've got a lot of years to cover today, so let's get started. Hey everybody, welcome back. It's Doug Schaefer with another episode of The Taste. We have a very special guest today. It's almost like our anniversary show because we started doing this podcast about a year ago, but we have a guy in here who's actually a dear friend of mine. Um, We've been together a long, long time. Let's see, since 1984 to be exact. And his name is Elias Fernandez, winemaker at Schaefer Vineyards. Elias, welcome. Thank you, Doug. We've had people uh, writing in saying, when are we going to have Elias on the, on the podcast? So today is the day. So, Mr. Fernandez, <laughs> let's, go right, let's go all the way back. I, you know, oh, my where, God. Yeah, I, all the way back. <laughs> it's a lot of years. Where were you born, man? Okay, so I was born in Stockton, California in 1961. My parents moved to the Napa Valley uh, like a week after I was born. So I basically grew up in Napa Valley. So you were in Napa Valley from basically a baby through... Through, through today. Through, through today. <laughs> yeah. So what was growing up in the Napa Valley like? That was, what, the 60s and 70s? Uh, a lot slower than, than it is today. You know, a little bit of fishing, a little bit of playing in the river, swimming, all that kind of things, you know. So uh, riding bikes, fishing, hunting. You had a couple brothers? Yeah, I had uh, two brothers, younger brothers. And did you guys live in town? or? We lived in a few places. We started out... Um, on Zinfandel Lane, where the old chicken farm is, where, uh, you know, Sutter Home was there in the early days. I didn't so, know you were there. Yeah. So we we did a little stint there. Then we moved to Rutherford. Um, we moved to the uh, Rutherford uh, um, Concrete Road near Rutherford Crossroads. So you're out in the country. So, yep, I mean, I was, if you went to town, where'd you go? Napa, St. Helena? Actually, we went to Rutherford, mm-hmm. the only little store there, La Luna. Uh, used to ride, ride our bikes there. Which is still there. Uh, it's still there, but it moved uh, a couple of locations there. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't know it was, I didn't know it goes that far back. Oh, yeah. So you guys would ride your bikes to La Luna and, and what? Just hang yeah, out? Yeah, buy, a, buy some uh, BBs for our BB gun and you know, a little gum and a little, you know, yeah. a little soda or something like that. How fun. How yeah. fun. What, uh, so your dad, who Yeah, you so if you really want to go back, uh, we do. go back to my grandparents who migrated from Mexico to Los Angeles. Okay. And the reason they moved north was my grandmother had bad uh, allergies to the smog in L.A., okay. uh, even back in the 40s or whatever. And so the doctor told my uh, grandfather you need to move north where the air is a little bit cleaner and for her because she's going to suffer here. So uh, they ended up in Lodi, of all places, this my grandparents. This is your mom's parents? Yeah, my mom's parents. So um, they they followed the agricultural crops, so they ended up working in the tomato and strawberry fields in, in, in the San Joaquin Valley. So then after they moved there... Um, because there was seasonal work everywhere, you know, in, in agriculture, right. they would move to near Napa Valley where there was a lot of walnuts and prunes. 
And so they would do some work here. Also, my grandfather was a help uh, uh, some bricklaying that they did on vintage 1870, which is a in place in the right. Wow, he worked on that. Yeah, a little bit of that, and a little bit on the railroad too. So he was doing a little bit of all you know kinds of things. Uh, and so my grandparents actually moved to Napa Valley for a little time, and okay. my mother ended up going to St. Helena High School. Your mom went to St. Helena yeah. High? Yeah. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Now, I've got to jump in here. I've known yeah. this guy for 34 years, and I did not know that your mother... <laughs> I knew you went to St. Helena High School, but I didn't know your mom did. Yeah, but she didn't actually graduate because of the... Uh, of the family having to follow the crops and stuff, it right. was it, and it was difficult staying in school. So she ended up leaving school, uh, I think, as a sophomore or, or junior, and they moved back to the San Joaquin Valley, where my uh, grandfather had a more stable job. God, that had to be a tough life. I mean, because you're going, your parents are going wherever there's fruits or walnuts to harvest, right. you know, area to area. So they're moving all the time. Right. Well, this is prior to me being born. Right. And so because my mom had had a taste of what St. Lena was like when I was born, she told my father, we're moving to St. Lena and uh, if we're going to have a family and stuff like that. So because of my grandmother's allergies, I ended up in St. Lena indirectly. So How fun. I yeah. never knew that story. Yeah. And when your dad got here, he worked for, he worked for Lori Wood, So right? he worked for Lori Wood, who was, uh, who's been on the, I mean, we talked about him on this show with the, you know, the well witcher. Mark He's a water witcher. Right, right. right. But Lori Wood was uh, one of the first agricultural manager of stuff like walnuts, prunes, before the vineyards came into the valley. Oh, so I always knew he did vineyards, but before that he was doing walnuts and prunes. Oh, yeah. That's all this valley really was. I remember as a kid, I mean, just orchards and orchards of walnuts and, you know, playing in walnut trees and, you know, running around. So you remember that as a kid. So that's basically in the late 60s. You're right, late 60s. You're eight, nine, 10 years old. Right. And it, that's getting on towards 70 and it wasn't all grapes here. No, no, it was walnuts. And my dad actually worked for Lori Wood and he would drive the tractor that would shake the trees and, and allow the walnuts to fall to the ground so they could be harvested, picked off the ground. And so I did a lot of walnut picking as a young kid. And so you get to be school age, you're living in Rutherford, and where do you go to school? Right. So I went to elementary school in St. Lena, then RLS, Robert Louis Stevenson School, the middle school. And then I went to St. Helena High School. Um, what was St. Helena High School like? Back so you oh, were there God, it was you, so I was there, and then you were right after me. Yeah, yeah you, you remember. It was small. Uh, everybody knew everybody else. You couldn't get away with anything you know, without uh, a parent seeing you do something bad or, you know. <laughs> yeah. You played football, didn't you? you uh, only my senior <laughs> year. I, I was actually was, uh, loved track, so I, I was into track more than I was in football. But my senior year, I did. Only because football coach Charlie Tugan. Charlie you know, Tugan. Yeah. He said, hey, you need to come out for football. Okay. But I, little did I know he was using me as a trainer, having all the big football players if, chase me. He would say, okay, <laughs> if you guys can catch Elias, you can beat him up. <laughs> this is the one. So they could never catch me, though. So Charlie Toogood, his family owned a place called Taylor's Refresher, right. which was a kind of a drive-in hot dog stand, if you will. Yeah, everybody in high school Everybody went in high school, after <laughs> high school, after school, you went yeah. down to Taylor's Refresher and got a, I used to get a tall pink lemonade and a double bacon walnut, double bacon nut cheeseburger. Yeah. Oh, they were just... Or a strawberry shake. A strawberry <laughs> shake. And the reason I'm bringing Taylor's Refresher up is because that is the exact same location where 
Today it's known as Gotts. The Gott brothers bought the Taylor's Refresher and have revamped it, and now it's um, definitely a, a must-stop to anyone who comes to the Napa Valley. But right, that's where right. we used to hang out after high school. Yeah, it was kind we used of to a, have a telephone booth there too. I remember a that. telephone booth. You used kind to call of, mom from there. It's Come kind pick of, me up. It's kind of a dump. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. But that Charlie Tugood owned that. That's pretty good. And then. Um, and Toby Wolf was the track coach. Right. He was your right. buddy. He was right. And, uh, and, but also you were in the band. Yeah, that actually starts back in third grade. So my mother, again, you know, didn't graduate from high school. And looking back at it, she was going to make sure that I graduated from high school and went on to do something. Um, so in third grade, she, uh, she would go to school and sign us up for classes, you know. And so one day she comes home, she goes, I signed you up for classes. So I'm looking at it, English, math, and I'm right. like, okay, history. And then I go, ban? And I go, <laughs> mom, why did you sign me up for ban? She goes, oh, you should try something different. I think it'd be good for you. And I said, oh, God, okay. So I go to, I go to ban, and uh, Robert Graff was the, uh, the uh, band teacher there for th- probably 30, Forever. 20, 30 years or something. I remember something. him. Yeah. And so um, he sized you up and look, he goes, you look like a trumpet player. So he handed me a trumpet. <laughs> and, and no so choice. He, no choice. He goes, okay, everybody's got their instrument. We're going to practice. And then, uh, you know, for your final, for the school, you're going to have to play this song. So you look at all these little notes and something, you go, what do they mean? You know, it's like a foreign language, but. He didn't uh, teach you how to play the trumpet? No, no, but he, he, he taught us, but, right. he, but he scared us because he goes, you're going to have to play this whole thing. In other words, he was saying, you will learn how to do this by oh. the end of the class. Oh, so, man. So anyway, so third grade, I learned how to play the trumpet and um, actually enjoyed it a lot. Um, it was fun. It, uh, in those days, it was actually cool to be in band. You know? Okay, okay. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how it is today, but uh, learned a lot. It was like a, a foreign language, but it was, it, was, it was fun. And I would go home and practice and, and so forth. And I actually pre- became pretty good at it. Yeah. Yeah. So by high school, by uh, 1979, when I graduated, I actually got a Fulbright scholarship to University of Nevada, Reno to go uh, play trumpet. You got a Fulbright scholarship to go to University of Nevada, Reno to play trumpet. Right. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, at the time, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Right. I just knew I wanted to go to college. And um, that was an opportunity, you know. That w- that I took, yeah. and first member of your family to go to college, and first member of my family to go cool. to college. Yeah. Mom was so happy. mom was pretty proud. <laughs> your um, <laughs> I know Elias's mom pretty well, and she is a sweetheart. But man, I can tell she's a force to be reckoned with. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, but uh, before going to college, high school, growing up in Saint Helena, there's a small town, small a lot town. of vineyard families, a lot of wine families. Who any uh, who'd you hang with? Oh, oh God! Uh, that people yeah, might know, so, wine people. Yeah, wine people. So I had uh, the Davies kids, you know, from Jack and Jamie Davies of Schransburg. Okay. Yeah, so they were in my uh, Bill Davies was in my class. I um, I went to high school with some of the Duckhorn kids, you know, Raymond, uh, the Raymond family, you know, some Walt of those Roy kids. Raymond yeah, kids. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, yeah, so those. Chrissy, those a lot. Do, you, do you know Chrissy? Was she in your class, Chrissy Raymond? Mm, uh, okay. Yeah, I, I, she was a little bit yeah. younger, I believe. Yeah, well, she, she's a neighbor. Yeah, our kids play soccer together. So. Yeah, um, and the Chapelet gang. The Chapelets, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, I mean, almost the beginning of uh, really Napa Valley. What you know? Wineries are starting out. 
But we moved here in 73. I, I vaguely remember walnuts and prunes, but maybe not much. Maybe I was so focused on grapes because Dad was doing grapes. But, but walnuts and prunes were a big part of this oh, yeah. industry forever. Yeah, I remember us you know, picking prunes in a hot, sticky... And I learned right away, uh, you know, why they give you prunes to, you know, to, <laughs> to <laughs> unplug you sometimes <laughs> as a kid because you eat a lot of those prunes. And you know, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Never heard that yeah. story. Um, good. So, all right. So you get yourself a scholarship playing trumpet at the University of Nevada at Reno. Right. What, I mean, you, you know, you grew up in Napa Valley and all of a sudden you're going to Reno. What was that like? So, like, okay, so now, now that I have, I've had three kids, you know, you take your kids to colleges to go see the college. Right. Well, I was going to University of Nevada and not knowing where it was. <laughs> I knew it was in Reno. Never, but did, never, never been, been there, on never the campus. Visited, right? Never visited. So it, um, that was a tough, uh, scary time for me. Um, you know, I packed up my 67 Mustang with all my stuff. Right. My mom was bawling. Um, yeah. you know, and she didn't know where I was going either, oh <laughs> but, it, you know, but I'm going to college. So anyway, so I drove the three and a half, four hours and I forget what it is, yeah. the trip up to Reno and I get to the university and I get to my dorm and, you know, and off I went, you know, oh. I was in a new world. Um, first night of, of staying there at the dorms, the fire alarm goes off at two in the morning. It's snowing outside, oh. and I realize, oh God, <laughs> somebody did this on purpose. They're 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 playing with, around yeah. with us. So it was it was just a different world. Yeah, yeah scary but exciting. Really scary. Yeah, because you're like eighteen, and yeah. so how was Reno? <clears throat> well, Reno was uh, was uh, fun. The it was mm -hmm. fun. Um, just getting away. Uh, you know, you start to reflect back where you came from when you just go away. Right. So it was a good time to reflect on that, especially when I would come home on holidays. But it was good being on myself, washing my own clothes, you know, things mm -hmm. that I really didn't do because mom did it all. Right. So it was a growing up period. But uh, I think by the, the second semester, I realized that I needed to do something different than music. I did mm -hmm. first, you know, especially when I'd come home, I'd go, God, I grew up in this beautiful uh, place, and what could I do to come back, you know? Hmm. So, yeah. so. Interesting. You all, you know, you grew up here, because I've, again, I've known you for a long time, and uh, you bring that up on a regular basis, how beautiful this valley is. Oh, yeah. And... When we moved here, I was 17, and the same thing struck me from Chicago. It's like, oh my gosh, it's just gorgeous. And But it was funny, because when I graduated, the, the kids who were in my graduating class who'd grown up here in St. Helena, St. Helena in Napa Valley, man, we're about to graduate, and they were, without exception, they were like, we can hardly wait to get the heck out of That's here, right. ASAP. Because it's a small town, the right, whole thing. Right. They were like, we got to get out of here. Yeah. And you know, a lot of them left and haven't come back. Some have come back, you know, I think. Right. You get out there and yeah, see I had the, the same experience with my people in my class. You know, they all wanted to leave, leave, leave. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a sleepy town. I've got a son who just went to college and he grew up here and he was like, I want to go to college in a city. <laughs> and he's having a great time. <laughs> yeah. So, so you're thinking about how you get back here. What, what, what went through your mind? Okay. So, um, in 77, 1977 and 78, 
um, high school, I actually, high school, high school years. Yeah, high school yeah. year. I was actually working at Louis Martini Winery in the summers. Okay. You know, so one of my best friends from high school, his mother was good friends with Carolyn Martini. And uh, Carolyn Martini said, hey, uh, would you send like a summer job? And if he has a friend, you might want to ask him because we need a little bit of help at the winery doing, you know, little stuff. And so my friend asked, hey, you want to go work at Louis Martini with me? And I said, <laughs> sure. And so, so that this was the first time I'd ever stepped in a winery. You got know? it. And so I got to see a lot going on uh, during the summers. Huh. You know? um, and uh, there was a guy named Art Johnson. I, who, I, we remember uh, Art. Yeah, Art, Art was a tough, you know, kind of, a, a, you know, oaky, you know, um, cowboy type of guy. And one of the first jobs he gave me was... Uh, was to break, uh, was to uh, fix broken pallets. Those pallets where wood, we put wine pallets, on, right? Right. And so uh, there was a whole stack, and he said, "See that stack? You guys, you guys <laughs> going to work on those on that stack?" And I go, "Okay." So it was in the shade, you know. Uh, but now he moved them with a forklift to the middle of the you know the courtyard and in the sun, and <laughs> says, "You're going to fix them right here." Yeah. So he oh. was like, you know, going to show these young little. Uh, you know, high school kids, high what school to, kids. how to work. He yeah. puts you in the sun, in the pavement, where it's yeah. just roasting, right. and you're busting and rebuilding pallets. Yeah, sweating summer. and all this stuff, yeah. And yeah. splinters and the whole thing. And right, right, right. So anyway, so I got to uh, work at a winery, and that's part of a winery, and I was fixing mm-hmm. things. And, right. and, and But I was watching all this other stuff go on. And then the second summer, I actually was put on the bottling line. Oh. So I actually oh, got, got a the promotion. bottle You line. got a promotion. Yeah, I got a promotion. <laughs> <laughs> so you're at Reno, so you're thinking back of your summer jobs. Right, right. right. So the summer jobs, uh, I, uh, you know, when I, that first year at Reno, I decided, uh, you know, I need to figure out what I really want to do for the rest of my life. So, so you're working summers in the Valley, starting to think about maybe the grape business, the wine business. Did you, did you talk to anybody about that? Well, the first thing I had to do is talk to my parents so, because well, uh, right. I was getting a Fulbright scholarship. So, uh, oh, you God, know, you're going to walk away from that. I was okay. going to walk oh, away yeah. from uh, okay. yeah, that. So so I went home on one of the you know breaks, yeah. and um, I talked to my mom, and I said, Hey, Mom, I'm, I'm thinking of transferring to UC Davis and thinking about this wine program. He goes, She goes, What? You're going <laughs> to throw away the scholarship? And I right. said... And that's what I'm thinking about. And she goes, well, let me, let me talk to Lori Wood. You know, again, Lori Wood was, you yeah. know, the, the okay. agricultural guy. He had a vineyard management, you know, walnuts and prunes and stuff. Yeah. And, um, and so she talked to him and actually Lori Wood said, well, you know, this, this, this wine thing has really been kind of slow and it's just starting, you know, I don't know if there's a future oh, in it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So no one really knew, you know, but that's, you know, yeah. you know, the early 80s, you know, right. I mean, it, you know, there was some wineries, but it wasn't huge it like wasn't, it is today. Right. Yeah. No one knew how big it was going to get. And so she relayed that to me and, and I said, well... I don't know. I just, I just need to do this. I need to, you know, maybe I'll change, you know, later, but uh, I'm going to transfer anyway. So I did it. Um, and I continued to work at Louis Martini in the summers, you know, making money so I could afford to make the transition. So, so yeah, that's how I, you know. Well, you, you, you had the passion. Yeah. 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 So look at it. Um, then I realized, um, um, the first uh, weekend I was at UC Davis, I, I realized um, uh, how much passion I really had about this 
um, that weekend I got all my books for class. And one of the, the first classes I had to take in wine was the wines, uh, you know, wines of the world class. Right. So uh, a class that taught you about wine all over the world, mm-hmm. you know, which was at that time. And I got that book uh, from the bookstore. And that weekend I started reading it and I actually finished the whole book. Uh, that weekend because it was so interesting. So, so I knew I had found wow. something that I really would can hang on to. Uh, yeah. So. Well, you found the right you found the right passion. <laughs> yep. Great. Yep. So you transferred to Davis. Right. Started there in nineteen eighty one ish somewhere on Got there. Got it. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Yep. Got it. And so the move. So was that a fun move? Different type of campus. Oh yeah, that was a way different type of campus. Much harder uh, as far as academically. I mm-hmm. mean, I really go, wow, this is this is hardcore, <laughs> you know. So it was a it was a period there where I had a little struggle. Well, I think we all did. Did you take Chem One A? I took Chem One A. Yeah. With 500 kids. With 500 kids. Same so, here. yeah. So, that was one class that was as big as your high school. <laughs> I'll never forget that class. I, I haven't asked you this. I don't think I've ever. Was Dr. Kiefer teaching that or was there another guy? Well, there was, he was one of them. Was you one know, of them. they had okay. rotating, yeah, professors. So, because I was, what, four or five years ahead of right, you. So. Right, right. All right. So, well, all right. So, it's tough. You're, it's, you know, it's you're, tough. Getting, you're getting your, you know, yeah. wake up call. Right. Not well, making A's, making. C's, right, man. Right. Whatever. So, what? How'd you? How'd you figure it out? What'd you do? Well, that, that, that we go back to chemistry in that first year. I remember, um, I remember, uh, you know, studying for the first uh, midterm, and I'm studying and studying, and then I, I started to reflect back at high school, where my high school teachers always said, you know, you should take the hardest classes you can in, in high school because it's going to help you. <laughs> and I'm going like, oh, I'm not taking chemistry in high school, you know? Right, yeah. Right. But. Uh, uh, that was a big mistake. Uh, that first <laughs> semester at uh, Davis, uh, I got my my grade, and it was really really bad. <laughs> and so um, I remember going uh, back uh, to class, um, and um, the professor was drawing a, a bell curve, you know, on the right. and he <laughs> said, if anybody's in this section, they should you know leave the class and stuff. And I I was in that section, right? And um, <laughs> And I go, I can't drop this class. I need. I want to do this wine thing. There's yeah, no way. You gotta have it. There's no way. So, I, I, I always remember my mom telling me, um, you know, if you need help, ask people. You know, mm. and and she, it was an advice that I took right at that moment. And I, I say, said, okay, I need to go find a, you know, somebody to help me with this, with chemistry right. and so forth. So anyway, I, you know, I I stuck in the class, and uh, we were allowed to drop one grade. So uh, I stuck in the class, got a you know tutor, and uh, ended up getting an A minus in the class. So, you got an A minus in Chem One A. Yeah, I Whew. aced the final. <laughs> C plus, <laughs> but that's another story. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And you're yeah. off and running. And off and running. Yeah. Okay. So you're at Davis. Yep. Doing it. Um, and you were you had a uh, you had some pals once you got into the wine program, yeah. Yeah, so you know after the first year, then you get to go in the wine program, and and the classes get smaller. Um, I went from five hundred in a chemistry class to maybe twenty in a in a winemaking class. Right. And so uh, little did I know that the people I went to school would actually make an impact in this industry hmm. all over the country. I went to college with people such as Mia Klein from, right. from Klein Cellars, um, 
Pam Starr from Crocker and Starr. Right. Marco Capelli, who was the winemaker of Swanson for a long time and then moved up to the foothills and is now, you know, doing make, his own thing, consulting. Great, and Great wines. And, yeah. 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 So, so, yeah, good times. And you guys had a Friday night group. Oh, yeah, the Friday night group. <laughs> yeah, so Friday tell, nights tell me, is tell where... Tell me about that Yeah, one. Friday nights is where uh, the starving, starving uh, college students would get together and, and buy a, a cheese and a bottle of wine and a paper bag and sit around and talk about wine blindly and, uh, and then eat cheese and baguette for uh, dinner. And, and some wine. <laughs> Great. So it was, it was one of the best times of uh, my college career because uh, you learned a lot about tasting wine, you know, and talking about wine there. Yeah. Well, and friendships have lasted yeah, your whole life. Of course. You know, great. Yeah. And, you know, what's fun is it's a, it's a, I'm going to jump in. It's a wonderful industry as far as sharing ideas. Um, Elias has his pals. I've got a few myself. And as we've gone through the years making wine, especially the early years, learning, you know, com coming up against problems and issues and challenges. It's great to be able to call one or two of your friends who might be, have the same ones and might have a different take on how to resolve it. That's, of, of course. And yeah. to reciprocate, you know, yeah. when they have yeah. an issue, they call you up and, and so we talk about it and, you know, that's fun. That's the, that's the beauty of this business, I think. Right. Except once in a while, I get a call from someone who I don't even know. <laughs> and they say, hey, this is this is back when I was making wine. Right. It's like, hey, Doug, can you tell, tell, me, tell me how you make a Chardonnay? It's like, wow, really? <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, well, you have to, well, you have you to know, choose you, your battles. Yeah, you pick them, pick them and press them and right. bottle it and you're fine. <laughs> um, and summertime, so summer jobs, were you back at... Were you up in Davis? Did you come back to the Valley and work in a martini? What did yeah, you do so I, I worked at uh, Louis Martini for two out of the three years I was at UC Davis. I mean, I was making nine fifty an hour as a grunt work in 1979, you know, when the minimum wage was like two fifty, I believe, or something like that. So I was able to make money to pay for my, you know, my, my schooling. Right. I mean, I basically came out of UC Davis with no real big loans because of Louis Martini Winery and allowing me to work there. No debt. Yeah, no debt. Yeah. So you worked there all the summers? All summers. College. As soon as the day I got off, I would start and, start with and, and then leave a couple of days before uh, you know, school started. Wow. Yeah. That's kind of neat. Yeah, it was. It was a good experience. So were you stuck on the bottling line the whole time? Yeah, basically, I was. Yeah, you know. I've got a parallel because I worked two or three college summers for Hans Cornell. That's right. We yeah. had the champagne cellars, yeah. but he paid two seventy five an hour. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh man! Yeah. And it was you talk about you know safety was safety just didn't exist. I mean, champagne bottles. You know, champagne bottles. Those you obviously can put two and two together. A wine bottle breaks on the floor, no big deal. It breaks. A champagne bottle falls on the floor. It's like a missile. missile it's like 150 yeah. pounds of pressure going everywhere. Yeah. So so you're getting through Davis, and, uh, and so you had a year at Reno. Did you do four years at Davis? Or did yeah, you do, for, for, did you uh, four, three and a half. Three and a half, because yeah. you had to right, do, right, do right. a whole gig in right. um, fermentation so, science. Yeah. So, so then in 1982, then I, I did an internship at Strasbourg. So, Greg Fowler was the uh, champagne right. winemaker there, and uh, he hired me for an internship. So I, I did an internship okay. for Harvest, uh, you know, at Strasbourg. Well, that must have been fun. Yeah. What yeah. was that? What'd you do? Well, we racked wine. We moved a lot of you know the base wines, and you know made you know after they were 
uh, fermented and so forth. So I learned a lot about moving wine, and I filled presses. Um, in those days, they used to have a, um, a machine that would suck the grapes out of the gondola right. and up and over and into the press. And so I would be in the press. The whole clusters. The, the whole, whole clusters, cluster. right, right. And I'd be in the press with a big hose Excuse just filling wait, up wait, the wait. press. You'd, you'd be in the press? Yes, in the I mean, press. Presses aren't that big. <laughs> well, there's a little manhole you can fit in there. <laughs> so, so Fowler used to stick you in the inside the press. Right, inside the press. With the end of this hose. Right, because all the whole cluster would come shooting out and we'd fill it from the back <laughs> of the press. The guy on the other end sometimes would, you know, play games with us, so he'd suck up bees and they would go through and come into the press, and so all of a sudden I'd have a bee, you know, flying around, so that was kind of made it fun too. Oh, man. I just think that's really hot and sticky and confined and claustrophobic. And but it's harvest, you know? Yeah, it's that's harvest. That's what we do. So the takeaway from that was what? Well, what well, uh, it was basically I, I started to see, you know, uh, not just the grapes and not just the bottling, right. but I got to see some other process. And then, and it excited me. All of a sudden, I'm going, I'm starting to put two and two together, and I'm going, okay, I, I think I, this is what I really okay. want to do, you know, in life, you know, is make wine. So That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, all right. We got the juices flowing. <laughs> all right. So then, so all of a sudden, fast forward to uh, spring 1984 and you're graduating mm-hmm. and you have a story and I have a story, but <laughs> why don't we, why don't you go first and okay. we'll see how different our stories are. So yeah, <laughs> so it was, uh, it was early uh, February of 1984 and uh, it was, you know, I started to think, well, it's time now to start looking for a job and, you know, I've. I've done all this prep work with all my academics. Uh, I've done well. I had some great professors. I've tasted wine with my tasting group on Fridays, you know. Um, but now it's time to get serious. And so uh, at UC Davis, there was a job board. Right. And I remember seeing a little ad of, you know, family owned winery in Napa Valley looking for seller help. And so I applied to that uh, that job. and. Lo and behold, that was your dad's who put, had put that up okay. at UC Davis. So John Schaefer was was the guy who, you know, who I interviewed with. And I remember driving. If you've been to Schaefer Vineyards and you drive up that driveway, you all you see those palisades. And I'd grown up here all my life and had never seen those palisades, you know, up close, up close and personal. So I drove up and I just thought to myself, wow, this would be a cool place to work. And so I came and interviewed with uh, your dad and your mm-hmm. mom. And, My mom too? Uh, your mom too, yeah. They all interviewed me. And, um, I can believe uh, that. Yeah, and then I remember you were in there working and your dad brought me over and, and then you interviewed me. And after that interview, uh, your dad said, well, we're interviewing other people and you know, we'll let you know and right. stuff. So I went back to school um, and this was actually two weeks before graduation you know, when I when I, you March, know, when I right. came to the interview in March and I went back to school and I as I drove out I was just thinking oh that was good I mean I didn't I wasn't thinking I was going to get the job but I go I needed that experience of, of doing that in the interview process and so I get back to school and about a week later I get a call from your dad and he goes, Elias, this is John Schaefer. Um, we'd like to interview again. Hmm. And I was, uh, you know, was wondering if you could uh, uh, come next week. And I said, no. And I, I said, I can't. And he goes, uh, he kind of, <laughs> and I said, oh, I got finals. And I got to 
you know, I got to get yeah. those finals done. And right. somebody goes, oh, okay, well, then come afterwards and stuff like nice. that. So mm-hmm. I said, oh, God, okay. Nice so, much. yeah, I came for the second interview. And um, one of the questions was, Elias, what do you what do you think you'll be doing 10 years from now? <laughs> and it caught me <laughs> off guard, you know. But knowing John for so many years, he was a forward thinker. He goes, oh, you know, are, right. you, are you thinking ahead or whatever? And so I, I said, well, I, I know I want to make wine. That's all I know, I said. Yeah. And, and then he said, well, how would you like to work here? And wow. I said, I, when can I start? Wow. And he goes, well, can you start Monday? And I said, <laughs> okay, well, I'm graduating on Friday. I'll be there on Monday. So I got two days off and, and I you know, started working at Schaefer Vineyards on March 24th, 1984. 1984. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So my memory... When I start here January of 83, I was by myself in the cellar. Within a few months, I realized I'd need some help. So I got a guy who stayed with me, and he turned out to be one of the most undependable people you could ever have. You know, you wouldn't show up to work, and you're in the middle of racking a lot of oh, barrels, God. and then you're by yourself, and you have to stay all night to finish it. And um, finally had to let him go, which was very traumatic because I'd never, I had to fire him. He was my, you know, cellar guy, assistant. And that was, I remember just losing sleep. I'll have to fire this guy. And the guy, you know, he needed to be fired. I mean, he didn't show up to work and he'd be hung over. And and, uh, that was traumatic. And then... um Realized I needed to get somebody. I remember talking to Dad. It's it's funny to hear your story because I don't. In my memory is I was the only guy that interviewed you, which is. But now that I think about it, it's like no, because I'd only been here a year and a half. I didn't right. know what was going on. I was yeah. just trying to figure out the seller. <laughs> and you know, Dad and Mom were very much running the business. So right. hearing your story makes perfect sense. Dad would be. He, we probably talked. And I said, well, let's put an ad up at Davis. So he probably took the ball and rang with it. Right. I love the fact that Mom talked to you too. That's great. Our moms are very similar, I think. <laughs> but I do remember, and Elias has heard it too many times, but basically, you know, he didn't have much of a resume. All he had was his transcript. And he, we took the same classes four or five years apart at Davis. So the conversation was like, hey, is Dr. Cook still teaching VIT 101A and B? Right. And he, he'd say yes. yes. I'd say, <laughs> and I said, is he still drinking at lunch? And he said, <laughs> yeah. and he said yes. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> But then I'm looking at your grades, and it's like, you know, Chem 1A, you got an A minus. You know, I got a C plus. And physics, you got an A, and I got a B. And, you know, genetics, you got an A. And I took a pass, no pass. <laughs> I love pass, no pass. Wasn't that the best thing? And it's like, I thought to myself, I got to hire this. This guy's smarter than I am. I got to hire him. So, you know, when you left and we were talking, you know, Dad said, what do you think? I said, we need to hire this guy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, you showed up. And then... Um, what was your, do you remember your first day at Schaefer? Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as vivid as can be. Oh, yeah. come on. <laughs> come on. I can't I remember those, those, what happened. Uh, what happened? We had those uh, those wood catwalks where the Chardonnay room is. Right. And um, everything was wood except the, the frame. And uh, it was full of black mold or whatever. And, right. And I remember you gave me a bucket and, and a, a sponge. And and I said, we got to get this mold off and stuff. And so... I'm scrubbing away, scrubbing away, and it's coming down my arm. You know, it's just going everywhere. Yeah, but it reminded me of Mart- Louis Martini Winery. You know, did it? So Good. I was, well, I was good at it. <laughs> I, 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 
I'd like to say I came up with that one on my own, but actually that was a job that I worked at another winery for a couple of years before coming to Schaefer, and I got the same job yeah, from same Randy job. Mason. <laughs> but basically, you have to bleach the underside of these wood planks, and they're yeah. you're on a step ladder, and they're over your head, and it's you know we've got goggles and yeah, stuff yeah. and gloves, but, but we don't use bleach anymore. No, we don't. <laughs> so that was a challenging job, but you know here I am. Who who am I to be handing out gnarly jobs? But it is what it is. But um, everyone needs to know Elias was a was a trooper. He handled it like a pro, no complaints, and and, and uh, we were off and running from 1984, which is what 35 years this ago. This will be the 35th harvest. 35th so, harvest yeah. together. So yeah, quite a run. Quite a run. And, and we was, were making. Where were we making? Like 10, 12,000 cases. Yeah, I think something about like that. that. Yeah. And mom and dad and that, were in the office, yeah. and I think Mary Kay was on board soon after. Right. You know, mom, dad, and someone else in, or two in the office thing, you and me in the cellar. Yeah, that was it. Was it. Sh- it was Cheryl Deleuze. Remember uh, oh, yeah. Robert Deleuze yeah, yeah, yeah. from ZD1? Yeah, from ZD1. Sh- Cheryl. Yeah, Cheryl. Good memory. So, yeah, uh, the early days. Well, thank God we were young. Uh, I'll never forget the harvest in 1984. <laughs> Your uh, first harvest, yeah, my first second. harvest. Mer- and you picked, you know, 30 tons of Chardonnay on that first oh. day of harvest, you know. <laughs> <laughs> And the press broke down. Labor Day weekend. Labor Day weekend. No one's around mm. to help us. Yeah. You know? All the service guys took the weekend <laughs> off during harvest. Right. You That's could what never you did. Do that. You could never do that today. No. Was, so yeah. the break didn't work on the press, and, and the juice would go flying, you know, out oh, yeah. the side and so forth. And then um, I realized that. Uh, Doug had a temper. <laughs> oh, 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 you really going to tell us? Wait, wait, wait. This is my show. You can't do this. Yeah, Doug oh, had a temper. Man. Oh, God. But, <laughs> but, uh, I like you're using had. <laughs> yeah, had. So, so again, the, 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 the press was fairly was new, new. Uh, and the break uh, failed on it so that the uh, uh, juice would flow into the juice band, you know, naturally right. down below. And so someone had to manually stop the press and then get the air in the bladder and all that stuff. So, um, you know, 30 tons of Chardonnay, I forget how many tons that thing I held, probably two or three, four, yeah, five. Four, yeah, yeah so I don't it's, know. It's like, it was so, a lot so of press it's loads. it's going to be like eight press loads. Yeah. Each, press, each cycle is like two and a half hours. Right, hour, right. So. so so we had to do that manually. All and this night. is at you know, nine o'clock at night. And those days, the Chardonnay actually got crushed into tanks. Right. And then we, for skin contact... And then we would take it out of the tank and then right into the press. So we started pressing the stuff like at 8 o'clock at night. Right. And, and we had to go all night, you know, without any sleep. Well, your your mom brought some cots down and, and stuff, and we took little breaks. They made us little, I remember they made us two little beds yeah. in, on the office floor, and we'd take turns sleeping for a couple hours and while one guy would kind of run the press and we'd tag team. But I would hear, I would hear you cuss every once in a while out there. <laughs> you wouldn't let me sleep. <laughs> Well, no, what I remember, <laughs> and it was it's a little embarrassing to tell this story, and Elias is being a being being really nice right now, but we're battling this press. We're trying to figure out how to fix it, and we can't, and we can't get anybody to help us. And you know, you know, we had a wrench, and maybe we can try to tighten that or loosen that. That didn't work. We're trying to we get a hammer and try to bang on something that didn't work. And I do remember vividly at one point I was so frustrated. <laughs> it had this stainless side. I actually, I actually kicked it. I, I, ah, yeah. I, I kicked it like five or six times, just kicking brand, this brand new press, brand new press, <laughs> just kicking this stainless panel, yeah. and and just because I was so frustrated and upset, and then all of a sudden I 
I turned and I looked at Elias. You know, we didn't know each other that well. We'd only been working together a year or so. And Elias was looking at me and the look on his face was like, oh my gosh, you're just like an idiot. <laughs> what good is kicking this thing going to do? And I was, you know, embarrassed and uh, we got past it. But, but you were helpful, very helpful. I do remember that was a long night, but um, those early years, you had a, and still do, a definite mechanical knack, electrical knack. I mean, you were incredibly helpful because, you know, we'd be, we'd come up against something. You always had, hey, you know, you would catch me before I got the hammer out. Or the, and or say, the duct tape. <laughs> we use a lot of duct tape, yeah, too. Yeah. But you were great because, you know, we'd, we'd figure it out and you kept me from, you know, mangling equipment, which well, was, was yeah. good. I, th- I think I get that from my dad. He taught me a lot about mechanical stuff. Yeah. He, you know, he made, made me work on the cars with him. And stuff, really? So, yeah. yeah. He used to, when as a kid, you worked with him in the vineyards a lot, too? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah a lot of vineyard work. Yeah, and what, and fixing caterpillars and you know discs and stuff like that. And you carry that on with your kids. Yeah, because you got a vineyard at your yeah, home. Yeah, I got a little vineyard so in my you're house. Three boys. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I call it my glorified landscape. You know, an acre and a half of Cabernet Sauvignon in Calistoga, and I actually did that on purpose for my kids to teach them a little bit of where I came from and where his right. their grandparents came from and their great grandparents came from. So as they were growing up. Um, I would put them to work in the vineyard. They hated it, you know. So anytime yeah. they did it, they were bad. We're going out in the vineyard. So <laughs> I don't know if that was good or bad because now they don't, none of them, well, only one of them, but none of them really wanted to do anything with the winery. <laughs> and Stace, you and Stace were married. When did you guys get married? So we, were, we were married on August 18th, uh, 1991. Got it. So yeah. you'd been here about six, seven years. Right. Okay. Yeah. I remember that. I remember that. That was a good. That was a good. That was a good wedding. Yeah, yeah. So we're cranking along. Summer of '86, we uh, made some port mm-hmm. and didn't tell Dad. He right. wasn't too happy about that because we remember that. Yeah. We took 300 gallons of his Sunspot Cabernet, and I think some... that, that probably was your idea to do that. Was it your idea? You know, I <laughs> thought it was yours. <laughs> I don't know. I, it was. Uh, I thought it was a good idea. Why well, did but, too? He wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't too happy about it. Well, just we still make a little port every year, and, and uh, to to tell a long story in a short manner, basically last night, you know, thought we'd whip up this little batch of port without telling Dad because we thought we were pretty hot stuff, and yeah. we'd have been here two and three years, and took the finished product into him. We had four barrels of it, and said, you know, Dad, we're making port, and he promptly said, calmly said, uh, okay, what's your What's your research? Who'd you talk to or consult with on how to do this? Because right. I know you guys don't know how to make port. <laughs> and um, how are you going to label it? What's the product plan? What's the brand plan? How's it going to fit in with our other wines? Mm-hmm. It was the best branding marketing lesson I ever received. And in fact, it was, I went back to the lab and, and you were like, what do you think? What do you think? <laughs> and I said, we're screwed. Hide the port. He's uh, not happy. But in hindsight, I never realized it. I think that was the first time for me that I had heard this term brand, branding. Right. And what's your, what are you known for in product and positioning right. and all. And because I remember soon after that, he gave me a couple of different books on branding and what, what, you, what are you building? What do you be, want to be, be known for? Right. So that was actually the start of it. Yeah. But uh, even though it hurt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it hurt. <laughs> but uh, long story short was he, he actually came around four years later and said, this is pretty cool. Let's do it every year. So we make 100 cases of port and sell it here. Yeah. We call it Firebreak Dessert Wine. So we're cranking along. And then we uh, we got 
Thanksgiving 86. Hmm. It was Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and we were going to do a blind tasting of a 85 Merlot, five different 85 Merlots, and five or six different 84 Cabernets, including the Schaefer's, Schaefer wines. Uh, and put them in a bag, blind tasting, because we do that before we release the wine, see how our wine's shaping up. Right. And um, basically, both flights, they had uh, one wine that was just absolutely horrible. And I mean, s- horrible <laughs> smell, stinky, terrible. And, you know, we're, we're like, wow, yeah, wine C. Whoa, man, wine yeah. C. So we're all three of us, you, dad, and me. And so we, the Merlot flight first, we unveil, and we're like, I wonder who that is. Yeah. Who's that? Well, it was ours. It was Schaefer. All so right. we, dad looked at me. I said, oh, it must be a bad bottle or something. And then we went to the Cabernet flight. Same deal. Wine A. Oh, wine A is nasty. That's nasty. What's that? Who's that? <laughs> it was Schaefer. <laughs> it was Schaefer. Um, oh. So we had, um, and by the way, I was the winemaker. Elias was assistant winemaker. And... Uh, but um, long story short, we had, we'd made a mistake with something called H2S, which is hydrogen sulfide, and there was still some in the wine. And once you bottle the, and bottle the wine with a little bit of oxygen at bottling, it can transfer into something called a, a mercaptan. Um, I'm not going to, since I didn't do too well in chemistry, we're not going to go and explain <laughs> what that is. But, but basically, it's really, it's really a, it's, it's, it can't hurt you, but it's just very putrid aroma. And... Uh, it was a really long weekend, and the, the worst part was when he called, he said to me, you know, Friday morning, so I called Louis Martini, Louis's going to come over and taste it with me. I said, well, I'm getting the hell out of here because I don't want to see Mr. Martini. I'm so embarrassed because I went up and worked mm-hmm. with another consultant trying to figure it out, and I came back and said, I said, what did Louis say, Dad? And Dad said, ah, oh, Louis said, ah, John, no big deal. He just got a little sulfide problem, you know, which was like, because he he'd been making wine for his whole life, 40, 50 years. So. The problem was it was in the bottle now. <laughs> yeah, that was the problem. The problem was it was in the bottle. So um, over that span of two or three days, which was the longest long weekend in my life, um, and Elias too, we were mm-hmm. talking on the phone and trying to figure it out. But we, uh, we, I called a, a good friend of ours, a guy we used to play football with. His <laughs> name was Tony Soder, right. and he was a consultant at the time. He was consulting with Spotswood, a few other wineries. And Tony was great, and he came on board that next Monday morning, and we figured out what was going on and what the problem was. And that was the start of an 18-month intense experience. Right. Right, what's, I learned so much in those eighteen months. What's your What's your memory of that? Well, yeah, I mean, Tony, um, I, I'll, I'll never forget the one line he said. He goes, "Let the wine speak to you. Don't yeah. force the wine to do something it's not." And uh, I, I use that to this day. Whenever I, I smelling a wine, I go, "Okay, what is it trying to say to me?" Right. And then you know, and then you you address it. You know. Yeah. You know, so the wine wants me to do this. It doesn't want me to do this. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah, I got to tell you, um, <clears throat> these are tough memories for Elias and me because, but but they were, but we built on them. But it was we we couldn't have been at a lower point. Yeah. Um, we were thought we were pretty hot and pretty cocky, and we had two wines that were just just horrible, which we had to rebottle. And rebottling is exactly what it sounds like. It was, I think, 3,000 cases of Merlot and 4,000 cases of Cab. And right. how do you rebottle? Well, the first thing you do is you got to pull the corks and dump, and the dump them into a press pan and pump it back into a tank. 
and then you know you do a little blending, you do a little uh, little magic, all legal, but, but you, you're able to get rid of um, get rid of this mercaptan problem, and then we refiltered the wine, rebottled the wine, released the wine. The wine was fine. We thought it was always we always thought it was a little bit stripped, well, because we knew what we had filtered right. twice and everything. And but. Yeah, to finish the story, it was a, a year later. It was uh, December fifteenth issue of Wine Spectator. I'll never forget that mm-hmm. because uh, that was my birthday, and both wines were reviewed in the Spectator, and one got ninety one, and one got ninety three. Yeah. And I was like, "Wow, it's amazing! <laughs> Wine's pretty amazing stuff." Yeah. But um, Tony, I remember we were so low. We we started out, and um, we said. Let's open book. Let's yeah. just look at everything. And we started in the vineyard. Yeah. yeah, we started in the vineyard and and went through everything in the cellar. I mean, we were twenty four seven the those those eighteen months. It was a lot. I mean, that's why I'm glad we were young because man, do you have that kind of stress yeah. today? It would be, it'd yeah. be brutal. Yeah, it was like a because we just discovered a lot of things that we just weren't. We were just weren't. We had been working hard, but right. just we were pushing a few wrong buttons. Right. And Tony helped us get straightened out. And again, you got to admire this guy. A year and a half later, he comes to me and says, and, and, and I, you know, I just, I'm a winemaker, Elias, assistant winemaker, but, you know, it's a, the two of us have been side by side for everything. So with Tony, it was like the three of us were cranking away and dad was super supportive, which mm-hmm. was great. But uh, a year and a half later, he comes to me and says, well, I'm done. I said, what do you mean you're done? He says, well, I've taught you guys everything I can. You guys can do it. And we were scared. <laughs> we were scared. I said, Soder, I'll triple your, I'll triple your hourly fee. You can't leave. He's our security blanket, at least right. for me. And he was cute. He said, no, I won't do it. And all his parting words were, you got my phone number. Don't abuse it. Yeah. See you <laughs> later. And he walked out. Yeah. And uh, he's remained a great friend forever. Life, yeah. In fact, isn't your son working with him? Well, my my son did a harvest there. I mean, up yeah. in Oregon. Up in Oregon, yeah. Which is great. That's like full circle stuff. Yeah, I know. It's kind of yeah. cool. Um, yeah, he taught us to listen to the wines. Listen to the wines. Great stuff. So that was eighty six, eighty seven, eighty eight. So that's so. Then we started to really work in the vineyard. I remember that. I mean, the eighties was all right. about the vineyard, and uh, you know, with the you know, organic farming that, you know, you actually implemented with a, you know, some of the, some of the Amigo, early stuff. Amigo Bob stuff, yeah, right. Yeah. Cover crops. And, right. And then all the, uh, the, you know, being aware of your ecosystem with all the, the hawks and, and, you know, purchase that we put up to help us with our rodent problem with, that came along with the right. grasses and then the owl boxes, you know, for the, Night watch. Yeah. That was, that was fun. That was an interesting that was era. Fun. That was fun time. Yeah. But well, the we, vineyard. We had a training. I remember Alfonso has been here for 45 oh years around yeah. the vineyards, but um, just having to change the whole mindset to, that a beautiful vineyard is one that's kind of trashy and, you know, not trashy meaning um, cover crop decaying and forest floor as opposed to a, you know, clean, clean dirt only right. you know, soil. Remember when 88, dad went to Italy and came back? Oh, yeah. <laughs> with this, What's, with something we couldn't pronounce. <laughs> you got a memory of that one? Yeah. So, what so happened? I, so I remember uh, uh, you telling me that your dad had gone to Italy and he came back with some cut and he wants us to make uh, Sangiovese. And when we go, Sangio, what? You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, Sangiovese, an Italian uh, 
great varieties that some of the super Tuscans are in and, you know, and all that. And we were going like, well, we have no idea of all this, you know, how to make it. How to, well, yeah. you know, people have to realize this is 1988. We're just trying to figure out how to make wines that are normal, good, right. not really necessarily great. I don't think we hadn't gotten there yet. We were trying, but just to make sure they're okay and get them in the bottle and, you know, not have it explode or something. But we're in the lab, and he goes, I want to make Sangiovese. And I said, I said Sangio water, you did. Yeah. And then he goes, well, it's the Chianti region. And I heard Chianti. This <laughs> yeah. is so embarrassing. I, I heard Chianti. I go, oh, straw baskets. baskets. <laughs> and, and I remember I'm, I'm, he looks at you. He looks at you, and he makes the comment, you know, I sent this guy to college. I paid for his college education in wine, and he doesn't and he, thinks he, <laughs> he doesn't what know what Sangiovese is. So it's like, you two had a good laugh. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, we planned it and um, made a wine called Firebreak. Firebreak, yeah. Uh, and Firebreak is named after the, the fire of 1981. 81, yeah. that, uh, fire, another wildfire back in 81 that burned a hill around his house, right. which had not been planted because my mom had told him that if you plant one more acre of grapes, I'm going to leave. And, <laughs> and the next day she woke up and saw that all the brown hills had burned, but the vineyards hadn't burned. And she'd almost lost her house. So she went to dad and said, you know, this hill right by their house, she said, plant this hill and plant it now. So we got, he was so happy. He got 10 more acres of hillside Cabernet. And so we, and we called the, called the vineyard fire break. Yeah. Sangiovese. How was that first one? Oh my God. It was so light in color. <laughs> it looked like a, a strawberry you know, juice. Yeah. Strawberry, yeah. yeah, yeah Kool-Aid, yeah. right? Didn't know anything about Sangiovese. And, and I remember idea, us yeah. going very disappointed with what, you know, what it, the pure Sangiovese turned out, you know, and then we uh, said, well, we need to blend a lot of Cabernet into this thing to make it palatable and, you know, have a great color or whatever. So, we, uh, I think the first one was a lot of Cabernet. Like 40%. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 40 I Because mean, he wanted it to be 10 or 15, like Ting and Ello. And right. I was like, no. Ain't happening this year. Not this year. Yeah. But we learned a lot about uh, Sangiovese uh, and actually made a pretty good one, you know, up to the end. Um, right. We learned about how to grow the grapes uh, correctly, how to get sun into the grapes uh, to get better color, but not too much sun. And uh, we actually made some very decent, decent ones. It was it was a fun fun project, but um, we realized that the the Italians it's it's their their strength, not ours. So we we surrendered. And uh, and then the next <laughs> the next one came up, right? The next Which one, the the the, 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 the Syrah. Oh, the, the Syrah. Well, one. before the, when was Syrah? That was in, well, that was around was ninety four, ninety five. Yeah. Which we ended uh, fire break in what, 93? 90. Or 2003. I can't remember okay, anymore. Okay. 2000, <laughs> 2003, I think. Yeah. Well, before Syrah, um, we had a transition. This was mm -hmm. around 1994. Right. A guy, I don't even remember how old dad was. He was mid 70s. But he, he came to me and said, Doug, it's time for you to run it, run the winery. You know, you need to travel more and run the administration. I said, fine. I said, I said, uh, I said, well, you know, and you'll be winemaker too and continue. I said, no, that doesn't work. <laughs> How am I going to do both jobs? And, you know, and, and, you know, we kicked, the three of us kicked it around and figured it out and uh, made a shift to promote you to winemaker. I became president. Dad became chairman. And uh, I've got a really specific memory of, of you 
during those that first year or two when you took over as making wine and um and you spending your money <laughs> oh that was the first yeah i forgot about that part because he, he walks in that was kind of right mm. about the time we wanted to fix chardonnay dad walks into elias and he said you know we've been fighting chardonnay forever you know i'm I'm going to go talk to Elias. I said, whatever. So we, because he, he and I had been going back and forth. So, so he said, uh, or he and I spoke to you and said, Elias, Chardonnay is going to be your project. You know, right. I think he said, I think he said to you, Chardonnay, Elias, fix it. Fix it. Yeah. <laughs> Turn I around and said, fix it. <laughs> and so, and you show up, you walk into his office an hour later. I didn't even know about it. Because he brought it to me, says, "Here's what Elias wants. He wants a vineyard in Carneros." I said, "Really?" <laughs> he wants 100% new French oak. I said, "Really?" Because I was like, I was trying to be fiscally responsible and not right. have you know not buy all this new these new barrels are so expensive. So you know we were using seven eight year old barrels on Chardonnay. Oh, yeah. I thought it was fine. <laughs> Apparently not. So I said, "Really?" He goes, "I go, wow, look at that." He goes, "Yeah, I'm gonna we're gonna do it all." I said, really? We're going to get a vineyard in Carneros? He goes, yep, that's what Elias wants that we're going to do. I said, well, I was, you know, we knew each other well, but I was a little bit pissed off. It's just like, you know, I was trying to be fiscally responsible. But yeah. that was fun. And, and, and by the way, you did fix it. So congratulations. Oh, thank you. But, thank uh, you for giving me the tools. Oh, man. It was funny. That was a funny conversation. But uh, so Elias became winemaker in 94. I became president and uh, you took over. And I'm going to say it because uh, it but I want to compliment you. I want to thank you again, because I, I got to tell you what happened. It was giving up the winemaking th- role title was, it was tough for me. And Elias knew it. Um, cause when you're, you, you can, there can only be one person calling all the shots, especially at harvest and when to pick and when to, you know, bottle and how to ferment. If you've got two or three people trying to make that decision, it just doesn't work. It's like, there's just like one general making the call. And, Otherwise, it just gets messy. And um, I knew it. I knew it in my heart, but it was tough to do it because I've been doing it so long. And we were start finally, after all these years together, we were starting to make some really pretty wines. So I, I had to work really hard to stay out of Elias's hair. And I, I tried. I, I tried hard. I moved my office over to another building and so I wouldn't be over there bugging him. And what happened was every couple times a week you have to make it maybe an acid addition or a sulfur addition or some type of calculation and Elias would show up in my office with a piece of paper he goes hey I need to add 10 parts sulfur to this tank of cab you know I've calculated it's going to be you know 300 grams for this 5,000 gallon tank could you just check my calculations for me I was like really you know but and you were like super sincere so I was like okay yeah that's that's the right number and he kept doing it and he kept doing it. You know, then, you know, a couple, three months go by. And it's like, you know, he, he bring it in. He brought it in again. It's like, I find, to the point where I finally said, Elias, would you leave me alone? You can do this. I don't need to be involved in this anymore. He says, okay, just, just check in. And you smiled. And I realized then it's like, you son of a gun. You, so what he did is um, he nursed me along. And he kind of eased me out without even knowing I was easing out. And uh, I want to thank you for that. Well, thank you. Really, I, don't really you re- I don't know if you remember the one time I, I think you were thanking me and I said, look, I just want to make your job easier because I, I could feel that you were you were struggling, you know. Yeah. I mean, anybody would in your position. And so it was, it was, it just felt right. And thank you for letting me oh, come man. see you every once in a while. <laughs> I, I, I remember that when you said that. And yeah. I remember exactly where it was. It was at the diner. Yeah. We were having lunch. 
and it was right about that era. And I think we were having, we were doing your annual review over a humdinger burger and right. a, a shake and fries at the diner over lunch. That's, yeah. what, that's how we did the reviews back then. <laughs> I think I've, I asked you the question. I said, I think I'd pull the John Schaefer. You know, what do you want me doing in five years? Right. Well, you know, what do you, we want to do this next year? And you said that to me. Yeah. You said, I just want to make your job easier. And right. it's like, wow. I, you know, I've passed that on to my kids who are now out in the work world. I said, you know, you're getting a job with somebody, make their job easier. Right. You know, just right. figure out what's going to help and you'll become invaluable to them. Right. So thank you for that. My pleasure. Oh, man. <laughs> We're going to have to go have a beer after yeah. this. <laughs> um, so you're winemaker. I'm president. Dad's still running around as chairman. Um and you're, you know, you've, it's, this is 94, 95. You got, you're married, you got three little kids. Yep. You've got this pretty serious responsibility here. The winery's starting to really take off quality. You're commuting down from Calistoga. That's a long drive every day. How'd you do it? Well, thank God I was young still. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a, yeah, that was a lot of pressure. I mean, at home yeah. and at work. Yeah. I mean, it was, I, I remember that era. It's like, you know, three young kids, all of them going in different directions and the wife needs help and I got to you know, right. run this place. You know, being young and just enjoying my job, it, it, you know, every day it would, it would make it easier just seeing the progression and seeing that the wines were going in the right direction, I think was all very hopeful. And, um, you know, um, your dad would, you know, show up once in a while and said, you know, the I just came from the road. The wines were showing beautifully. I mean, right. he always give, gave me some, you know, some feedback, which was awesome. You know, um. Well, the other thing you did was you really, more so than I ever did, you really jumped into the vineyard side of it. We mm -hmm. kind of were doing it, um, but we were, especially those early years, we were so focused on trying to get it right in the cellar. Right. So by then... The attention for us turned to the vineyard. You're growing better grapes to thus make better wines. Right. And um, you, I you know, I'm, don't mean to be complimenting you, but I'm going to. I mean, your ability to be in the vineyard and to be able to speak Spanish with our workers and our, our, our field guys to explain why we're thinning, why we're doing this thing. Why? Because sometimes they're thinking, especially like fruit thing, the guys are like, we're dropping fruit and three weeks from now we're going to be coming in and picking it. Why? What are you doing this for? Right, you know, right. I mean, they were like, they thought we were idiots, but you were able and have been continuing with these guys to explain why we do what we do and they get it. Right. And they, right. they're motivated to do it. Well, the vineyard, you know, as you know, is the where it all starts. And, and back in the, in the early 80s, we started some of that, but in the 90s, there was so much more that we knew about wine, and and we knew we had to, you know, make the vineyards the best we could, so we get the best raw materials to make the best wine, and um, uh, and I had to get the guys on board because they're the ones out there, you know, day in and day out. I can't see every vine, you can't see every vine, right? And so, um, and and going out there and explaining to them was was actually fun for me because it brought me back to my childhood, my dad and my parents huh. and stuff because um, um, they had someone that they could relate with to explain them to them. And, and I said, look, I did this as a small young kid, you know, and we used yeah. to do it this way, but now we do it this way because it's better for the wine. And so they started to get it and watch their eyes light up was, was really, really fun. And even today, I mean, you know, we're still doing some different things in the vineyard and just to watch them light up because they're learning something new and, they, and they're learning why 
you know, the why of it. The why. Know? Yeah. I mean, we just, we just, we're doing some new things with pruning that just over the last six or eight weeks, which is actually really, really cool. Right. And, uh, it's, it's fairly simple, but it's, it's a totally new way to kind of approach a grapevine when you prune it. Right. And, uh, and these guys have totally embraced the idea because you and these folks we're working with have walked them through why you should do this new right. way. It's better for the vine, better for the quality. So right. very right. cool. So you mentioned Syrah earlier. So how the, what's your memory on that one? How did we get into Syrah? Well, I, as I recall, we were at Mustard's having, uh, you know, one of our conversational lunches. And we go, we, you, know, uh, you know, we're thinking... Well, this actually came from your dad because remember he was always forward thinking. He always, he was always yeah. he was always the one that said you know we need, we need to do something different every three or four years. Right. And uh, and so you and I were having lunch and we go you know if we were to make another variety what variety would it be? And what were we drinking? It was dinner time. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think we were drinking Syrah. We were drinking yeah, Syrah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so we said, well, you know, Syrah is one of the noble, you know, red varieties of the world. So how about Syrah? Yeah. And then, and then we, you know, we were talking more and I said, but you know, we don't want to, every, we don't want to just make Syrah. We want to, we want to do what Californians do Beth, and, and what Napa Valley does. And, and so, uh, I remember that in Napa Valley there was a lot of Petit Syrah, and I right. had actually had a friend who who made Petit Syrah, and, and so I said, "What a, you know? What about a blend of Petit Syrah and Syrah? You know, because right. that variety was grown here. I mean, I, I forget how many acres it used to be the most grown variety here in Napa Valley for a long time, and all the old timers used to use it. Right. Uh, I remember seeing some come in at Louis Martini Winery back in the day." And, uh, you know, Petit Syrah is just big, tannic, you know, dark mm -hmm. colored, you know. And so, and it's also, it turns out it's one of the, it's parenthood is, uh, it's Syrah is one of its parents. So, right. so it blends well with it. So we decided to make Syrah as the next variety. Right. But we came up with this crazy blend idea. Yeah. And yeah. do you remember when we pitched it to dad? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we walk into dad's office yeah. and say, hey dad, because we had this 15 acre vineyard. Right. South of the winery by a mile, I'm on top of a hill. Beautiful site. And the discussion was where we're going to plant. So you and I walked in and said, Dad, we've got this great idea. We're going to plant, we're going to do a blend of Syrah and Petit Syrah, <laughs> and we're going to plant the vineyard in the percentages. Right. You know, sight unseen, never done, never even tried doing that blend. We're going to plant 80% Syrah, 20% Petit Syrah. And you and I are all excited. And it's like, this is mid 90s. Things were starting to, you know. And he leans back. We thought it'd be a no-brainer. Yeah. You know, we got your new product, Dad. We got the, and he he leaned back in his chair and goes, "Well, fellas, <laughs> <laughs> we went he, through this with the goes, port." <laughs> well, he goes, yeah, yeah. Well, he didn't say that. Thank goodness. But he said uh, back back when I was in the publishing business and someone would have a new idea for a new textbook or something, we would. He said, "I remember him saying this. We, we're gonna we need to test the market. So in other words, you need to make you know a couple hundred cases and see if people like this before we." plant 15 acres and commit like that. And I think you and I both kind of got hangdog looks on our face like, oh, bummer. And then he kind of paused and he looks at us and he goes, but you know, you guys have been doing pretty well lately. Go ahead and go for it. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, right on. So off we went. And um, so we planted the Syrah and Petit Syrah and made a blend. And it was the 1999 vintage. And we released it on... Your birthday, January twenty second, two thousand two, 
And we named the wine Relentless to honor you and your relentless pursuit of quality. So, yeah, that was a that was an honor. That was well, of, yeah, well deserved. Well, thank you. But Great yeah, wine. but that wine has you know done wonders for us, and you know I'm excited to make it every year. It's it's uh, it's uh, very unique uh, aromatics and flavor in that wine. Yeah. So. Fun. And we just tasted that. It's the 17 coming out. 16. Yeah. 16's coming yeah. out. We just tasted that yesterday. Um, just we didn't do a blind tasting, but we just tasted. And it's, <laughs> by the way, it smells really good. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, toughest vintages. You've oh. been here a long time. 35 years. What's your What's your toughest vintage? Well. 1984, because we didn't know what we were doing. And, you know, the press, we talked about that. That was a tough one. That was one. a tough one. That was the first harvest here. 2003 was a tough one. Right. Uh, I don't know if you recall that vintage and me calling you up and you were in Michigan, the heat oh. wave we had, and, you know, and, and that... we lost a lot of fruit. And Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I remember saying, because, yeah, I was on vacation, and you called me up, and it's like, he never calls me. So it's like, okay. And you said, this is bad. And then I kind of listened to you. I said, oh, come on, it can't be that bad. And all I remember you saying was like, it's that bad. It's that bad, yeah. We had 112 degrees here on yeah. on the property, and we, you know, some of the grapes burnt, and, and there wasn't a lot of crop anyway to yeah. start with. And so, that was a tough one. Yeah, that was tough in, in, in the respect that we hadn't, I hadn't seen that before. Right. You know? But it all turned out fine, but there was just not a lot of fruit. Just, yeah. <laughs> you know, scary. But then... Uh, I would have to say 2011 is probably the most toughest yeah, one because that was a tough one. Um, the way that vintage started out was uh, wet and it just continued to be wet through the summer. Right. I mean, early summer. And you know, we had botrytis on red grapes, which I had never seen before. Yeah, I remember that you one. Know, I, you know, you, you hear <laughs> this in Europe, it happens all the time, but not here. And so it, it, it was tough to watch and, and, and not see the grapes you know, develop in right. a timely fashion and just watch them, you know. But it also is the most gratifying uh, vintage because when I taste that 2011 hillside, I mean, it just, you know, brings happiness because it's turned out pretty well. You did a good job on that one. Yeah. It's nice. And that's the year we had the optical sorter things. I had to spend money. So anyway, whenever Elias needs new equipment and he brings it in and say, hey, we need to spend this much money to get this, it's like, you know, he's he's ready for me because my, my first question is, you know, why am I going to spend a hundred grand for that? And, but he's got a piece of paper. He says, here's what's going to happen. We'll do this. We'll do this. Wine will be better. It's okay. It works. Um, best, best vintages. Oh, best vintages. There's a lot of them. I mean, yeah. you know, I know. Um, it's that one. That one's hard. In the eighties, it's probably the 87 vintage and the nineties. Oh, you got a lot of them, 91, 92, 90. Yeah, I can't. I mean, I, know, I can't. I know. You, know. you know something? I apologize for asking. Yeah, that, that's a tough one. Ask, yeah, they're like, ask me that, I hate that. So, I know. You know, just, they're like my well, kids, you know. It's like, you know, which kid is you know, the best one? Oh, I, uh, I, know, I got well, the answer yeah, to that. Yeah, but you can't say it. Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> well actually, it changes all the time. There so, you, you know, one week it's this kid, one right, week right, it's right. that kid. Um, and you and I started making a, a little wine on the side. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That which I'm in trouble for right now because Elias is making some. We we started a brand a few years ago because we love doing what we do. But again, I think we were out to dinner or lunch, saying you know, drinking probably drinking an Albarino or a, or a Malbec or something. And the same conversation we had with Syrah earlier. It's like 
you're kind of like, I want to make this. I said, yeah, I want to make that, you know, different flavors and different varietals. So uh, Elias and I teamed up. We've got our own little brand called 84, which mm-hmm. is the year we started working together. And the idea is to make small quantities of wines that um, Schaefer doesn't make. So we start out with a Malbec and a Petit Syrah. Uh, we've added Albarino. Um, we've we've uh, we stopped making Malbec and Petit Syrah. We got the Albarino going, and we just started with a, a we released just released a Gamay Noir. Yeah, small production. Yeah, and uh, we're just having fun. And there's no people say, well, why just stop making Petit? It's like, well, we kind of lost interest and don't have a good grape source, and we got this Gamay Noir thing going. So. You know, things might come, things might go, which is kind of nice. We've got total freedom to... Yeah. What this project has done, I think for both of us, is, uh, you know, get those juices flowing again, like we were back in the early 80s, you know. Remember those uh, those days when, when we <sighs> were doing something and trying something new and, and stuff? And I think this has been fun for us, it's I think. It's been fun because all of a sudden, like with when we started doing the Gamay Noir, thinking about that a couple of years ago, it was like all of a sudden... Elias walks in my office at 7.30 in the morning with a, a, a bottle of wine that's, you know, got a third of the wine left in it. It's a gamay that he'd had the night before. Or I'm doing the same thing. It's like, hey, we had this. I wanted to bring some. You've got to try it. And that's what we were doing back in the 80s when right. we were like, how right. are we going to do this? Right. So it's fun. Yeah. It keeps it going. Definitely. So um, we'll keep, uh, we'll keep, we got to go source some grapes. We got to go see Marco up in the foothills. Yeah. Get some, get we'll some get fruit some, from uh, him. Zinfandel or some Zinf- Zinfandel. Zinfandel. About that. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll talk about that later. Um, so that was fun. That's been gone going. And then uh, a couple years ago, we um, we took our Merlot grapes and started doing something different. What happened with that? Well, that was that was fun. <laughs> it was fun for me. Um, Good. You know, uh, so, yeah. So... We decided to stop making a varietal Merlot and start make this wine called the TD9, mm-hmm. which um, also we had a little chat about. We needed to make a wine that it, it was a tribute to your dad, right? And, and at the same time, it was, it was um, you know Merlot had, had gotten a bad rap uh, right. after sideways and all, everything, and so this was a way to uh, make a wine that is Merlot based, but yet is more complex because now my hands aren't tied. I can put any varietal and any percentages to p- and make the best wine from the vintage. And at the same time, a tribute to your dad, the TD9, the one right. you know, TD9 is the name. Yeah, the name. I'll, but you're using Merlot, mostly Merlot, Malbec, and Cab. Right. So it's kind of, kind of Bordeaux-focused blend. But but like Elias was saying, he's, he's coming to me a few times and said, this is so great, not being tied to the 75% Merlot requirement to have a varietal Merlot, I can do anything I want. And each year, different vineyards, some shine better than others. So he's, now I've got the freedom to make the best tasting wine every year. And not, I'm not constrained by these percentages I have to hit. And um, that goes right down the old Schaefer brand branding pipe, which is, you know, that's, we're all about making the top, best quality we can make. So right. it fits. And the name Elias is referencing TD9 basically tells the story of my dad and his adventuresome spirit. Um, uh, I mean, to the end, the guy was coming up with ideas and what do you guys, what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. And, and frustrated that... Within a year or two, there'll be self-driving cars, and he's going to miss that boat. And he's really <laughs> upset about that. I mean, to the very end. And uh, 
But back in 73, he went from riding commuter trains in Chicago into taking a, a crazy wild flyer of an idea and moved us all out here to Napa and started driving a TD9 tractor that we found here on the ranch back in 73 and taught himself how to be a farmer and grow grapes and um, take it to the next level and start making wine. I mean, he, uh, you know, his 78 cab, he made, he was probably about, gosh, he was early 50s when he made that, probably 55, 56 years old when he started selling it. Right. In the in eighty one, eighty two, you know, you and I weren't even close to being here, and you know, those first ten or ten twelve years when we were kind of figuring it out, he, you know, here in the cellar, he was on the road selling those wines, and yeah. uh, it was a challenge because, you know, our early years were we we'd make some good wines, we make some <laughs> not so good wines. Do you, you know my best my the thing that was most disturbing about that period was we would make a good wine and we'd make a wine that wasn't so good. And I, I remember not being able to really know why that happened. Yeah. Why was this one good and why was this one not right, so we good? We made I mean, them the we same didn't, way. We, didn't, we yeah. didn't have the experience to know, gee, we picked too soon or we did this wrong. You know, after years together, we've, we've learned that right. we, and we can predict and, and hopefully, you know, hit it, hit it, hit it good every year. But those, that was a, that was kind of a strange place to be. It's like, why, why is this one? Yeah, the unknown. Yeah, yeah, the unknown. Yeah. Well, my friend, it's been a great run. Oh, thanks. 35 years. Yeah. Go for 35 more? Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Well, it's the springtime and the grapes are growing and we've got good cluster count. So uh, we're pretty excited about this year. So yeah. let's go grow some grapes. Let's do it. There's something I think you can hear when you talk to Elias. He lives and breathes winemaking, from everything that happens out in the vineyard, to running the cellar, to keeping the bottling line up and running. He does it all, and he does it with focus, with attention to detail, with unbelievable talent. There's a reason we named a wine relentless in his honor. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. If you enjoy the taste and haven't left a review on iTunes, please do as it helps other people find the podcast. In addition, if you'd like to contact us directly, please email podcast at shapervineyards.com. We'll see you next time. As I said at the start today, we're celebrating one year of this podcast. I want to say thank you, a big thank you to everyone who's shown so much support. You've downloaded like crazy. You've left kind and thoughtful reviews on iTunes. You have made this project so much fun. Thank you very much.